This is the Oklahoma Talking Company. Welcome to Dream OKC. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey. It was one year ago that the Dream Year event took place based on the Dream Year book by Ben Arment. And at that event, we heard uh, a night of great idealism and ideas and visions and dreams for how Oklahoma City could ultimately become a better community. And the thing that we saw from that event was that we all of these different people were invited to speak on their specific dreams, but they all resonated with how can Oklahoma City become a better community? It seemed to be the underlying theme that wasn't even a plan. So that's what this show is about. It's about introducing you to the dreamers that were at that event and the dreamers that you have not met yet that exist here in Oklahoma City. And uh, we are joined today by one of the speakers from that first event last year, Scott Martin, who has uh, an incredible vision for education and is getting ready to launch the Odyssey Leadership Academy. And Scott, welcome to Dream OKC. Thanks, Jason. It's good to be here. You, uh, you have an extensive background in education and have learned a lot through the years Let's talk a little bit about your background. Yeah. So I've been in education for 20 years. And by that, I mean, I've been loving on kids uh, for 20 years in a variety of capacities. I started as a Young Life Area Director here in Oklahoma City. So I was over Putnam City and Putnam City West uh, and then have been in youth ministry. And then I got into more traditional schooling. I was at the original John Marshall. I was at Edmund Santa Fe. And then I was at Heritage Hall. And I've just finished some grad work at the University of Oklahoma. So I have been in education for almost two decades working with kids. And was that as a, a teacher, an administrator, both of those things? All of that. Yeah. So teacher, uh, athletic coach, school administrator, uh, college counselor, just about everything but janitor, it seems like, all across the board. Talk a little bit about some of your experiences there. I mean, uh, what have you learned through mm -hmm. two decades of working in education? Well, first of all, um, man, there's just, you know, teachers get into this because they love on kids. And for me, um, I got into it because I wanted to, to work with kids as a basketball coach and was an English teacher. And I taught um, creative writing and Shakespeare and AP Lit and all different kind of things. And the one thing I can tell you is I've worked with just about every kind of kid you can imagine. Um, inner city, suburbia, affluence, um, all races, ethnicities, tribes, tongues, religions, creeds, every kid you can imagine. And the one thing I've come to see, again, working in a variety of contexts, is that every student is wrestling with the question, who am I and why does my life matter? They're really trying to wrestle with what am I going to give myself to? What, what life am I going to choose and, and where am I going to go with that? And again, that's whether they were uh, inner city, rural, suburbia, affluence, doesn't matter. They, they really wrestle with those two questions. And from, a, from an educator's standpoint, um, I, I assume there's some things that you've seen done right and done wrong through, through those processes. Yeah, without a doubt. And what I've seen really done very well every place I've ever been is that, again, the teachers in the classrooms 
work extraordinarily hard at loving on kids. Um, you know, they, they come in early, they plow through the day, they stay late, they make themselves available during lunch, after school, they go and attend uh, soccer games and debate and drama. And so wherever I've been, without exception, what I've seen is that the teachers really give themselves to loving on kids. Uh, to me, the things that, that begin to gnaw at me when I thought about some of the conflicts and challenges in schooling were the ways in which the apparatus of schooling limited a teacher's ability to do that and really, in my opinion, got in the way of that. And what I saw, unfortunately, were a lot of uh, really bright, highly motivated, uh, highly educated Educators who wanted to transform kids' lives and see kids uh, succeed and flourish, but they themselves got chewed up in a system that, you know, again, I've been in it for a while, and I, I saw the um, opportunities for a teacher to do what they want to do really narrow and diminish as we move through the um, No Child Left Behind and the Race to the Top and Common Core, and, and it just felt like the teachers themselves were very limited in what they could do. So one of the challenges that I have seen is how do you, how do you motivate teachers, set them free to do the work they really want to do? No teacher gets into this thinking they're going to make a lot of money. They understand that. They get into it because they believe in uh, the craft. Uh, they believe in the profession. They love kids. They love their subject. And unfortunately, I've seen a lot of burnout, uh, a lot of turnover. Uh, a lot of teachers just feel like they weren't able to do what they wanted to do. Yeah. How how do you think that transition has happened? I mean, uh, I mean, the, the obvious choice to me seems to be the government influence, the government involvement in in education, um, relieving what the schools uh, are are doing internally. Um, standardized testing, those types of things. I mean, from an outsider, and I don't know the first thing about education, except that I went to school and I have kids that go to school. Mm -hmm. But I mean, things have certainly changed from when I went to elementary, middle school, high school to what my kids now seem to yeah. experience. You know, they have, and they've changed, again, since I was in school myself. Uh, they changed over the 20 years that I've been a part of this. I think a part of that really is uh, – you mentioned you know, the government control and those kinds of things. And in the 80s, there was a report that came out, A Nation at Risk, and it basically said that we were falling way behind um, some of our um, peers like Russia and some of these places. And if we did not get on board and really ramp up our standard of education, that um, we were going to be taken over by the Red Army and all these things. And so that began to spark this fear that somehow we were lagging behind. And I don't know that the research bears out that we were, but it sparked this fear. And so from there, we moved into, again, the no child left behind type things. And education became much more of a standardized affair, as you talk about. Uh, it became much more about we, we've got to get everybody up to a certain uh, common or standard um, level, whether it's in reading or mathematics. And I don't know that the impetus behind this was malicious or was um, in, in any way other than it was probably very well intentioned. Uh, the problem, I think, is that it's become the deciding factor of what we mean by education. And so things that used to be um, part of the larger scope of education, for example, standardized tests, have now become the driving motivator for it. So, you know, in some ways, we've always had some kind of assessment uh, tool that helped us regulate and understand where students were, but it was part of a vast network of other things that were part of it. 
And what's happened, in my opinion, uh, unfortunately, is that that has become the deciding, the determinant factor. Uh, what students will score on third grade test or eighth grade test or reading test or these other kind of things. And again, it, it's become really the um, chokehold around the necks of both teachers and students and families, and I would even argue communities, because of course we have a huge dropout problem and, and we have kids who give up on school and just don't feel like uh, it matters to them. And so to me, even though this may have been a very well-intentioned thing in the beginning, the fact that we have hitched our wagon to this uh, to such a degree really has had a very, very uh, debilitating effect, not just on students, but on our community. You're listening to Dream OKC. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey, with our guest today, Scott Martin of Odyssey Leadership Academy. Scott, you went through all of this. You spent two decades in education, and um, you just kind of got tired of it, mm-hmm. and, and you decided to step out and move in a different direction. Yeah. Uh, so what happened there, and, and where do you go now? You know, I had really powerful experiences at every place I've been and was highly supported every place I've been and had the opportunity to really try some things that I thought were really beneficial to kids. And for example, um, started the independent studies program at the last school I was at where students got a chance outside of the traditional curriculum to pursue things, uh, creative writing and um, robotics and things like that. And I just began to see that's where students came alive. And when people say, well, I can't get students to learn, I can't get them to care about learning, that's not true. I've never worked with a kid in the hundreds and hundreds I've worked with over 20 years that did not care about learning, that was not passionate about something. It may have been football, it may have been drama, it may have been dance or art. And so what I just began to see is that um, even the kids who were doing really well within the system of education, that is they were scoring well on tests and they were they were able to memorize material and regurgitate it on Friday, had very little passion and very little connection to what they were learning and, and there was no sense of uh, meaning or direction to it. And so – and then of course, you know, those are the ones who made their way through it. The ones who gave up on it are the ones that, um, you know, we hear about statistically – And so what I just began to believe was, you know, what we've got to do is we've got to reimagine education as a process of setting captives free. And by that, I mean turning students loose to pursue their dreams, to pursue their passions. Um, I think education ought to be a process of um, identity formation. It ought to be uh, what it always has been historically. If you go back to uh, Socrates, Plato, Aristotle, Uh, Confucius, Jesus, Thomas Jefferson, John Dewey, Horace Mann, uh, Rousseau, across the board, education was always about shaping fully flourishing humans who would work to shape fully flourishing communities. And I just saw that missing, and I found that missing even in the narrative of education, uh, that, that you go to college to get your degree so that you can do well for yourself without really thinking of, um, you know, what, what role might you play in, in working towards the good we all share in common. So I just began to kind of knock around some ideas, you know, uh, as you do in a, in a profession, you think, what if? And I just asked myself a series of what if questions. What if education really were about uh, the pursuit of identity and passion and meaning? What if you allowed students the opportunity to pursue things that interested them? And what if the learning connected to deeper questions about the human experience? And what if teachers were uh, the ones who really acted as mentors in students' lives, as they've always done historically. Um, what if the community really saw its role in shaping the young in the city for the transformation or the restoration of the city? 
And I just began to ask these what-if questions, and I just found that there was very little space within the traditional realm of schooling as I had seen it to follow those out. And so finally, a good friend of mine, Mike Zerden, said, uh, Scott, quit asking permission. Just go try this. This is about, gosh, two years ago. And so I did. Um, I, I quit my job with my wife's uh, great blessing and grace and patience and began to walk this out one cup of coffee at a time relationally and began to just throw these what-if questions out there publicly and see if anybody wanted to show up and talk about it. And we began to have town halls and, and uh, different gatherings where enthusiasm over uh, this vision of education began to grow. And really what we did is, is – you know, we're not trying to start a school so much as we're trying to start a conversation about schooling. And that, to me, is where people really get engaged. When you give them a vision that they can own and that they feel like they've got a seat at the table, then they're willing to step in, whether it's um, as an educator, as a parent, as a resource in the city. And so we've really found a lot of synergy behind this just by asking people to come sit and have this conversation with us. So out of all of that, the the idea for Odyssey Leadership Academy was birthed, and you are getting ready to begin your first semester coming up in August. And, and when we say Odyssey Leadership Academy, we're not talking about a new school building on the corner of, uh, you know, Fifth and Main or whatever. Uh, it's a totally new approach. Yeah, that's right. So again, as I said, one of our um – Deliberate intentions is that we both ask the city to own the education of young in the city, and we ask the young in the city to give themselves to the restoration of the city. And our kind of byline for Odyssey is we're working to shape wise, virtuous, compassionate architects of repair in the world. And so to that end, uh, both logistically and philosophically, logistically, uh, if I had to go raise $10 million to build a building or rent space, I'd never be able to get this thing going. But philosophically, we just really believe that it's important for students to be involved in the life of the city and for the city to see uh, the students as important to uh, the health and vitality of um, not just in economic terms, but social, relational, psychological, every other way. So we're really pioneering something that I don't know that's being done anyplace else. And I think Oklahoma City is the perfect place to do it because we have the resources, we have the relational connections, we have the partnerships. But rather than, as you say, opening up a building uh, in a specific location, what we're doing is we're creating relational partnerships with public space in the city uh, and, and engaging that space for student learning. And what I found is when we begin to approach these uh, entities, they got really fired up because they've got a heart for education. Uh, they just – they don't see students come in and out of the doors as often as they want. So to that end – our primary uh, partnership is with the downtown Oklahoma City Library, which, of course, as you know, is a beautiful facility yeah. on its top floor. It's got uh, six, eight classrooms. It's got an auditorium, meeting space, uh, Wi-Fi. It's got computer lab, whiteboards, the whole thing. And we're really excited about that. It puts us right in the hub of the city. And then we've got relational partnerships with uh, dance studios and karate academies and um, you know, just community centers and all kinds of things, uh, uh, science laboratories in the city. So our question is, one of the what-if questions that we began to ask early on was, what if Oklahoma City were a campus and students could engage in uh, a variety of ways to get involved in learning? And to that end, I mean, we've really seen a lot of favor shown. Mm -hmm. 
So the, essentially, this will work um, like a private school, but but different because you're, as we've mentioned, you're not in a school building. Um, but it seems that it's a lot more. Um, Activity-driven? It, it's very student-centered, very project-based. Yeah. And so one of the things that I just feel both empirically in research uh, and anecdotally in, in, again, 20 years of working in the classroom, working with students, um, you know, there's there's not a lot of life to workbooks and worksheets and Scantron tests and bubble exams and those kinds of things. And so we're asking students to own the trajectory of their assessments. And so to that end, um, for example, one of the courses we're going to offer, and our courses are, are combined, uh, integrated, interdisciplinary courses that speak to, again, deeper issues in the human experience. And so one of the courses we're going to offer is a combined history-English course titled Race Reconciliation. And as we all know, that's a big conversation nationally. Yeah. It's a really big conversation here locally. We will study the history of, you know, the slave trade, slave industry, civil war, uh, reconstruction, civil rights, Harlem Renaissance, on and on. Read all the texts connected to that. But rather than a test on Friday, what we're going to say is to the students is, where do you want to go with this? What you, you've here's the content. We've wrestled with this thing um, as a class. Now, what do you want to do with that? And that could look like anything from uh, creative writing, um, art murals. Uh, students writing, uh, directing a movie. It could look like statistical analysis of um, incarceration rates uh, connected to race. The, the sky's the limit on where they go. And what we're saying, maybe it's a music composition. What we're saying is you take your skills and passions and interests. Here's the material. What do you want to do with that? And then uh, it culminates in what we call presentations of learning uh, at the end of each unit where in front of the community, faculty, parents, uh, people in the city, they present those things. So if you've got a student who's done a movie, they show the movie. If you've got a student who's done art, they show the art. To me, it connects students integrally to the content, not just because we're trying to wrestle with when was the Emancipation Proclamation signed, but how does that still impact what we mean by race relations today? And even more than that, what is our responsibility to seeing reconciliation come in this specific area? So all of our classes are geared that way, whether it's uh, a math science course, whether it's a history English class, whether it's music art. It's all designed around uh, student projects, presentations of learning, opportunities for students to show us to be experts in their field. We want to create scientists and mathematicians and uh, biologists and, and astronomers and authors and you know heads of nonprofits and on and on. So when we talk about how do you shape the next generation of, of leaders and innovators and culture makers and change agents, we believe it starts by giving kids the opportunity to step into those roles right now and not wait until they're 25 or 30. Yeah. So testing, if you will, and I use that term loosely, is much more than dates and names on a page, mm -hmm. but it is how does um, this experience in history affect me as a person and society as a That's whole. Right. That's right. So we'll still read the uh, text that a student might read in a traditional history class or an AP Lit class. Uh, we're, we'll still study the dates and the battles and the generals of the Civil War. We'll still look at the writings of uh, Malcolm X and Martin Luther King, the civil rights. We'll still wrestle with all of the things you would get in a traditional class. What we're trying to say is, okay, rather than that being – the end of that being a test, a Scantron test you're going to take on Friday, what we're saying is, okay, what are you going to do with that? So if it's a math class, 
we're going to say we're still going to do the algebra and the geometry and the trigonometry and the quadratic equations and all the things you've got to study in math. But we're going to use that to create and discover and explore and wrestle with, again, the deep questions pertaining to, as you mentioned, what does it mean to be a fully flourishing human being? What does it mean for me to pursue a healthy identity? But also, what does it mean for me to help shape a fully flourishing community to see in, in our community in this context is Oklahoma City, but to see transformation and restoration come to our city. So what math do you need to know to design um, healthy neighborhoods and healthy communal space? So what we're doing is we're still taking the same content you would get at, at a traditional school, but completely reimagining the purpose, the means, the intent, the end for which we get that content. Yeah. And I found it really fascinating looking, uh, reviewing your website and looking at the course descriptions. It's not, it's not just specific classes. It's a, it's a holistic approach. How do math and science and engineering or chemistry relate to each other in an overall view? Um, English literature, um, and history, how do those wrap together to tell, tell the story of the human experience, if you will? I don't know. Mm -hmm. I may be getting too deep there. No, you're right on track. And, and, you know, as an AP lit teacher, I never understood. I was asking my students to read very serious material. I was asking them to uh, wrestle with it, to write papers, so we might be doing crime and punishment, uh, Russian literature, but they might be studying civil war in their AP history class. And I just thought, you know, that's crazy. That if, if we're doing crime and punishment, why can't the history teacher do Russian uh, history? Or if the history teacher is doing civil war, you know, we'll do Uncle Tom's Cabin or something. And I never could get that idea across. It just seemed like it was this, this you know, I was talking Martian. So what we've decided to do is say, let's bring the – and the disciplines historically, I mean, if you go back, uh, historically, they were never siloed in this way. And even today, I mean, the, no, no worker, no, um, no parent, no employee, no employer, no creator, no innovator only uses math for 45 minutes and then shuts that off and goes to English for 45 minutes and shuts that off and goes to art. And it's all integrated using all of that. And so it's a very holistic approach. We believe that we ought to bring these things, these disciplines, back into conversation with each other. Um, one of the things that Odyssey is really trying to do is say where there has been fragmentation in schooling, we want to bring community. And I think one of the ways in which we fragment uh, schooling is we say, okay, you're going to go to 45 minutes of math and then rush across the hall to 45 minutes of English and then rush across the hall uh, to 45 minutes of science, and you don't get any chance to see where those things overlap. And I just think that's crazy. So we are designing our courses both to be integrated in their approach, but also to say, okay, what math and science and maybe even literature can we throw in if we're doing a course called Physics of the Future? Could we throw in Brave New World so that you're reading this as you're wrestling with things like artificial intelligence and nanotechnology and Google Glass and all the things that are coming? Let's wrestle with these things, um, not, not just for the test on Friday, but because these are things we need to know to successfully navigate the world we're in. Yeah. So you've been working on this for, for quite a while now. I know you've done several presentations out and in, in through the community. Um, what has the response been um, from the community? And then the second part of that question is, what have you had input in a, from from students, from kids? What what How uh, they view education and how would they like to learn? So uh, the answer to your first question is we we've we started by hosting a series of town halls and 
just to say, is there anybody out there that might be interested in having this conversation? And, you know, if that answer had come back, no, we'd be in a different spot right now. And what we found is that there was a huge hunger in the community. And I don't mean just from parents. We've had business leaders and nonprofit leaders and artists and musicians and and, uh, creatives of all kinds say, this sounds like a phenomenal thing, not just for students, but for our city. And so we would host town halls, uh, you know, we'd get 40 people at one and then 60 people at another and then 80 and 120. I mean, we just, we would have space where literally we were falling out the windows uh, trying to find people's seats. And so the the hunger and the interest uh, from the community from really day one uh, was, was really impressive uh, to me. And then to hear the students come alive when when they stepped in is the last student we enrolled is coming in to Odyssey as an incoming senior. So she's leaving a uh, tuition driven private school here in the metro, has been in that world her entire uh, schooling career and is coming to Odyssey her senior year. Now think about the risk that is for her and her family. But she says, I am finally excited to come to school. I'm finally looking forward to the start of the school year. And that's been the response we've had from students. We've had students who are saying, this is what I've been aching for my entire education career. I just didn't know it. And it's interesting. We have five students who graduated from their respective schools this May who are coming to Odyssey this August as a gap year because throughout their 12-plus years of schooling, they've never experienced anything like this. And they said, we would rather come and spend a year at Odyssey and get this rather than get on the treadmill of college. College will always be there, but this is something really unique. Wow, that's interesting. It's just – it blows me away. It, and we never really have to explain the need. People kind of get the need in the community. What what we have done is just cast a vision and allow people to step into that, and it's just been fascinating to see um, how the response from families, the response from uh, students, that this is something they seem to have always been looking for and couldn't find. And so we just I – mean, they're very brave pioneers because this is something new, uh, and they understand that. But the way I articulate it is um, you know, we've been in the old world of schooling forever and ever and ever, and, and to some degree it works. I mean you've got the, the old world of Spain with its banks and its, its economy and its churches and its schools, et cetera. But there's been a whisper of something new across the sea, and there's been a hint that there's a new vision, a new world to explore over there. And so we've spent the last two years building a vessel that would take us across the sea, and we've been inviting people into that. And we're about ready to set anchor, as you say, here in August and go and explore that land. And, you know, we don't fully know what we're going to find over there. Um, but that's the journey. That's the uh the quest that we're on in this. And I think that part of it excites parents and students. They get to be a part of something right from the start that has a sense that there's something really special attached to this. So as you as you prepare for your, your first year, um, was there any difficulty in enrollment? I mean, did you get over overrun with people trying to enroll? Did you limit those numbers for the first year? You know, when we started internally as a board and, and myself included, we thought if we get 15 students in year one, we'll be elated. Uh, 30 was our magic number. We always thought if we get 30 students, that's a dream situation for us. But, but nobody expected that would happen until probably year three. 
we opened up enrollment um, last year, last uh, summer. We hit 30 students by this January. So by January of 2015, we had uh, 30 students. Then the conversation shifted to a really interesting uh, challenge. Where do we stop this thing? And we decided uh, 50 is a pretty good number for us to do the work we want to do with excellence and integrity, to not be spread too thin and not have too many plates in the air. And so we, we drew the line to stand at 50, and we are at 50 students with the uh, rollover waiting list uh, taking place now. And I, I just can't, I can't believe it. And again, I have two little kids, and so I understand the challenge and, and the risk that parents are taking. And, and, but to me, what it says is they would rather, again, to use the um, uh, New World analogy, they would rather put their kids in the ship that we have created to go across the wine dark sea to this uh, brave new world then stay one more day in the traditional schooling. And so the the charge to us now is how do we faithfully walk this out, again, with excellence and integrity? How do we do this holding on to our core vision and values? Um, how do we do this in a way that really provides the experience that these families are looking for for their students, recognizing it's our first year and that uh, we're all pioneers in this? But I just could not have asked for better families and students. I mean, every student and every family that's coming into this is just excited and eager to be a part of this. They're jumping in with both feet. Um, they're, they're willing to brave the uh, adventure with us. Our faculty are the same way. Uh, we have a rich, diverse faculty uh, coming from all over uh, who love kids and really are excited to to build those deep mentoring relationships with them and to reimagine courses and the relational partnerships we have, again, are, are just really, for our first year, to already have the relational partnerships we have in the city is just humbling. And yeah. so, you know, I couldn't be more excited. That's great. And your your faculty, you refer to them not as teachers but as mentors. Right. And one of the interesting things is is this class sizes where we see um, a typical class could be, you know, upwards of 25 students for one teacher, which – I can't even imagine being a teacher in in that kind of role in some situations, mm -hmm. but uh, your class sizes are are limited to what about eight eight to ten students or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so uh, when I was a teacher in the public school, my class sizes were easily thirty to thirty five, and I'd have five sections of about thirty to thirty five students a day, and so you know that was again at the high school level, and you can imagine that's why I say you can imagine the burnout teachers face when they're trying to keep up with that. So one of our core tenets is we do want those small class sizes because we just really believe that that we call our teachers mentors. That's their first role. All of the research shows the two reasons kids give up on school. They don't feel like the curriculum matters. They don't feel like anybody cares about them. And we want to get that right, right off the top. And I think we just know um, anecdotally that it's it's the role of the mentor that transforms student, not just the deliverer of content in the classroom. The teachers that made an impact on us are the ones who really got engaged in our lives. And so we take that sacred trust very, very seriously. Uh, so we do want to keep our class sizes small. We want the teachers to be able to get to know the students, uh, to be able to identify, does this student have uh, some special needs that, that we need to cover? Are there some things that we need to slow things down a little bit so that we can really dig deep into this conversation. If, if we're wrestling with, um, you know, slavery in the South as, as um, not just an economic, but as a, as a perceived moral good uh, at the time, 
we might need to spend a little bit of time with this and really unpack that. And so having small classes allows us to do some of that. And so, again, we take that uh, role model and mentor role very seriously. And so what our long-term vision is, is not just to have one school in the downtown area, but to have an Odyssey uh, Academy anywhere that a community wants it. And so we will hit capacity at some point in the downtown core, and then our goal won't be to have students coming in from all over. But for us to say, okay, where's the next logical place? And to go very intentionally, very relationally into that space and say, okay, now we're going to create this here. And we hit capacity there. We'll go someplace else. So, yeah, to us, the mentoring thing is the moral center of what we do. It's the heart. We want uh, uh, teachers mentoring students. We want students uh, mentoring each other. Uh, Peer-to-peer role modeling uh, is very important to us. So we just feel like that's how you help shape really healthy individuals is by putting role models in their lives that can speak to them in, in both the highs and lows of their journey. Yeah. You're listening to Dream OKC. I'm your host, Jason Baffrey. Our guest is Scott Martin, founder of the Odyssey Leadership Academy. And uh, Scott, how has the response been from um, the public educators that you are in contact with? I'll be honest. I initially thought there'd be a lot of pushback and a lot of criticism from that world because it could be perceived uh, that what we're trying to do is compete with uh, you know any other school, public school, private school, religious school, whatever. But what we've really tried to do um, is is to collaborate and to say there are things that, that public schools, well, that, that traditional schools can do. We're not going to have a football team year one, maybe ever. And so uh, I think there are things that traditional schools provide that are really beneficial to kids that it might take us a long time to get to. And so what we've tried to do is say, again, we're not trying to start a school as much as we're trying to start a conversation about schooling, and this is the the skin in which it operates. What I found when we approach it that way, and we posture ourselves as how do we serve our city, and how do we serve the schools and the students in our city? And I've told parents and, and the community The goal for me is not to see Odyssey Leadership Academy be the greatest thing in the world. My goal is always to see students, families, and communities flourish. And if that means that there are students uh, for whom Odyssey is not the best fit, then, you know, I want to get them into places where uh, they, they can thrive and flourish. And so the response I've received from the education community, quite honestly, has been very positive. I mean, I've, I've had the opportunity to sit down with principals and superintendents and headmasters and school board members and people who are in that space and say, man, we really like what, what's going on here. How can we implement that in our space? I have a great relationship with a principal of a, a 6A public school in our community, and they're just really eager to move beyond the A-plus designation they have, so they, they've achieved that, but they're really interested in, in weaving a mentoring component into what they do. And so he and I are in conversation to say, okay, tell me what you're looking at doing with that piece in Odyssey and how might that translate to what we do. So that's the magic for me. We are not going to be able to offer a, a spot at our table for you know all 105,000 kids that, that uh, are in Oklahoma, uh, greater Oklahoma City metro schools. But if we can have a, a part in shaping a conversation about schooling where those kids are at, then I think we've got some real magic there. Then I, then I think we have crossed the tipping point. We're not, we're not just uh, a school doing great things for the number of students we can serve. 
but we're part of a larger conversation that's trying to serve the greater good in Oklahoma City because really the, the driving factor uh, for us is what if Oklahoma City were the best place to raise and educate a child? And Odyssey is just trying to have a voice in that. Yeah, that's great. Scott, we appreciate your heart. Um, I appreciate your uh, desire to um, be involved in kids' lives and to uh, to motivate them to, to learn and better themselves and, and for to become better in society in general. We're very excited about what you're doing. Um, we wish you the best of luck here in your first first season with Odyssey Leadership Academy. If people want to find out more about what you're doing and find out how to enroll and what that process looks like, where, where do they need to go? Probably the easiest entry point is our website, which is just simply odysseyleadershipacademy.org. And I would invite people, if they want, you know, take a look at the website. It's got contact information there. If they want to see what we're doing, contact me. Uh, we want to be very open to the community to stop in and, and see what a course looks like to see what some of the experiences, the projects the students are doing, if they want to come and engage in some of the presentations the students are putting on. that's That, to me, is we want to be very wide open to that. So if they want to go to the website, that will link them to our email address and contact info. That, that OdysseyLeadershipAcademy.org is probably the best place to go. Thank you very much, Scott Martin, for joining us on Dream OKC. Next time, we'll talk to another one of our dreamers that were at the Dream Year OKC event in 2014. I'm Jason Baffrey. This is Dream OKC. Dream OKC.